love music, live sport. Pole Position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio. Hello and welcome to Pole Position on Rock Sport Radio. Sandy Alston with you alongside Adam Todd, broadcasting live on DAB Digital Radio across central Scotland on TuneIn and online, talking motorsport from 8 until 9. So on the show this week, Ferrari want more in Singapore. We look at the thrills at Knock Hill and Ogier stays strong as Tanak gets it wrong. All this and more on Pole Position. Now, Formula One is back this weekend, with the action heading to Singapore for the 15th round of the season. Of course, it's Mercedes man Lewis Hamilton who leads the way at the top of the championship on 284 points, but Ferrari's Charles Leclerc has won the last two races. So, Adam, this looks like we're all set for a very interesting race on Sunday. Absolutely. It's been great that Ferrari finally turned up to the party because you've saw the likes of Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas have some great battles this season and finally Ferrari since the summer break have won two races courtesy of Charles Leclerc. However, it's going to be a tough weekend you feel for them in Singapore. You said they want more but I have bad news for them because I don't think they're going to be getting it anymore. Um, It's going to be tough physically for the drivers as well. Now Malaysia's off the calendar with the heat and the humidity. It's a night race as well. It's a great spectacle, but it has a lot of slow speed corners, fewer straights than Belgium and Italy, which will not suit Ferrari. And it will bring Red Bull into the mix, which will make it even more exciting. So much has been made of Verstappen v Hamilton. Saw some great battles earlier this season in Hungary, of course, as well. And we'll be hoping for more of the same this weekend. Absolutely. It's a good opportunity for Verstappen to bounce back after um, a couple of disappointing races in Belgium and Italy and again he's going to be right up there certainly with a good chance of a podium or perhaps even more on Sunday. Yeah it's not been a, a good set of results since the summer break from Verstappen but he's still third in the standings which just shows you how well he's been driving this season and this is probably Red Bull's best chance to get another victory this season. They're certainly going to be strong at other tracks as well the likes of Mexico the high altitude but you really say Singapore is a Red Bull track. Now, there's been lots of big talking points going into this one, and joining us on pole position to recap it all, delighted to welcome back Steve Camp from Motorsport Week. Steve, one that's really split opinion, and I want to get your thoughts on it, is Roman Grosjean staying with Haas for next year. What's your take on that? I think in Haas's situation, it's, um, excuse me, I think more the devil that they know than the one that they don't. Um, I think with Grosjean, they, they know what they've got as a package. I think a lot of people would say that that's sceptical in terms of the way he's been driving, uh, you know, crashes, mistakes, and certain things like that. But maybe the chemistry between him and teammate Kevin Magnussen might be something that they they want to, to keep the chemistry going with. Um, most people might know the chemistry between Kevin Magnussen and uh, Nico Hulkenberg might not be the best after their clash in Hungary in 2017. And uh, one certain remark from Magnussen... <laughs> But um, I think it's possibly down to that. And I think reading between the lines, perhaps, uh, it also might have come down to Hulkenberg's wage demands as well, but that's Mm -hmm. slightly unconfirmed. Steve, I mean, Gunther Steiner has often said that when Grosjean is quick, he's right up there. And I I do agree with that, but the trouble is he just isn't consistent enough. No, it's it's, it's a very strange one. I mean, we, we saw in 2013 what Grosjean was, certainly capable of when given the right car and he's you know certainly quick on his day but his 
his window of operation is so minute it's it's troubling to to find a way to get the best out of him and steve there's, there's an argument to say that grosjean was perhaps a little bit lucky to keep his seat this year so is it like you say is it better the devil you know for Haas? is it perhaps came down to money with hulkenberg as well or are they maybe even looking at Grosjean as a, a bit of a short-term option with a view to perhaps um, looking further afield for 2021 and beyond? I think it could be a mixture of all those factors. Um, I think with 2021, there's potential for other drivers out there, but there's not many within in sort of their family that they can uh, promote. I mean, Pietro Fittipaldi hasn't got any super licence points to his name, as far as I'm aware. So to get him up to the 40 points required would take an a, a enormous effort through 2020 to make him ready for 21 and it's it could just be how they might want to go shopping for 20, for 21 with other drivers but who knows how everyone might move around and as for Hulkenberg what do you think his options are now um very limited i think if ferrari wants to keep hold of giovinazzi alfa romeo they will um that's certainly dependent on them. Uh, at Williams, it looks like Latifi is being lined up for the second seat alongside George Russell with Kibitzer announcing that he was leaving today. So it kind of almost leaving him without a, uh, a seat in Formula 1 as Red Bull like to keep their drivers in-house. Um, his his options lie more, more outside of the sport, and I think, uh, my personal opinion, I think he could be suited to the McLaren uh, Schmidt Peterson team at IndyCar for next year and line up alongside James Hinchcliffe. But that's personally what I would like to see, but who knows what will happen there. Hi Steve, Adam here. Do you think Nico Hulkenberg's been unlucky in this situation in Formula 1? Or has he not quite taken his chances because he was in the frame for the McLaren seat that went to Sergio Perez in 2013, albeit that turned out not to be that uh, good of seat in the end and McLaren of course gone backwards and now this season we're seeing the rise of them again, and he'd always been linked with Ferrari for a few seasons as well. So, do you feel Hulkenberg's been a bit hard done by? I think if you judge from his initial uh, sort of GP2 career going into Formula One, he was the the hot favourite rookie, and everyone wanted to get hold of him. And as the cars got a little bit heavier, excuse me, um, I think, and when the hybrid rules came in, and the car weights became extremely. Uh, sensitive to to the driver weight, it became sort of a problem for teams that they sort of wanted to hire Nico, but they didn't at the same time because of how tall he is and the extra weight that he carried. And I think that Formula One has, I think in a way, missed out on what Nico could have filled as as his potential. Um, To say that he's unlucky, I'd definitely say so. And I don't think he's also helped himself in certain situations when he's had chances to take top results. I mean, he threw away a potential victory in Brazil 2012, let's not forget. And also, you know, a potential podium, sorry, in um, Germany this year as well. It's just in certain situations where it's just sort of not quite gone his way, but sort of partly been his fault at the same time. Now, it looked as if he'd perhaps gotten a break when he joined Renault from Force India in 20, ahead of the 2017 season because he was almost set to be the, the team leader there and wiped the floor with, with Julian Palmer and against Carlos Sainz, was very strong last season. And Daniel Ricciardo's came in, though, and he's really done a better job than Nico Hülkenberg. Are you surprised the way Ricciardo's asserted his authority? Because I have to say, at the start of the season, 
that expected that to be one of the closest battles. And yes, there's not much in it in terms of points, but Ricardo just seems to be getting the best out of a poor performing car. Uh, I think it's a bit of a mixture. I think Nico has been been slightly consistent in, in in his performances. I think Daniel's gone from slightly underperforming at the start of the season, adjusting to a newer car. But since he's starting to get the hang of it, he's sort of coming to his own. And I think that it's not necessarily hurt Nico, but I think it's shown that Renault are looking to perhaps keep Daniel going to, into the future years. If um, obviously they aim to return to the front of the grid and Nico's age probably isn't helping him uh, in that fact either, and they want a, a young driver, uh, a young French national driver, obviously, in Esteban Ocon going forward to help them keep that growth going forward. So I think, in a sense, despite the fact that you know older drivers like uh, Vettel and Hamilton, in a way, I think because of Hulkenberg's lack of success, um, it's almost as if he's aged out. And Steve, there were rumours earlier on this season about Hulkenberg potentially joining Red Bull. Of course, they demoted Pierre Gasly and replaced him with Alex Albin, who seems to be doing a very good job so far after two races in Red Bull. So do you think any hope of Hulkenberg joining Red Bull is now over? Because Red Bull will know what they're going to get from Daniel Kvyat, and they're obviously testing out Alex Albin just now. I, th- I think it's, it's a one in a trillion chance, I'm afraid. It's Red Bull like to keep their drivers in house. I think in only in a desperate scenario would Red Bull want to hire outside in in a situation like that. Albon's currently in a seat that I would say is his to lose, um, given his current performances. It looked a little bit shaky um, in a couple of places, but he's getting used to a new car again. Um, this this weekend in Singapore will be a very big weekend for Albon, so it's, it'll be interesting to see how he performs there. Steve, let's take a look at Williams now because, as we mentioned a little bit earlier in an interview, Robert Kubica staying, uh, saying he won't be with the team for next year. The consensus on social media seems to be that this is perhaps the right decision for everyone involved in this one. I would say so as well. Um, it's been fantastic to see Robert come back from the, the terrible injuries that he suffered in the in that rally crash all those years ago. Um, it's, it's been good to see that he's been physically capable of driving a Formula 1 car at speed. It's a shame to see that what what it does look like, though, is that he's he lost that that, that special part of him that you know that we, we saw towards the end of his Formula 1 career before the accident. And I think he, he said so himself that he wasn't going to be the same driver, but to see him as far off the pace as he has been to George Russell has slightly been a bit of a disappointment, but in a way, it's not a surprise either. I dare say he's, he's added a lot of valuable behind the scenes in terms of developing that car and and uh, providing valuable feedback to, to the engineers. But um, I, I, the interesting part for me with, with the whole comeback story with Kubica is just how well George Russell has performed because he's come in there, a very highly talented driver, don't get me wrong, but it's not as if it's been a close gap between Russell and Kubica. I mean, George has been quite comfortably ahead. Yeah, George has. I mean, Robert's got fantastic engineering feedback to to the team. You know, this way, uh, where he did the um, test in Austria last year for Williams uh, in free practice one, and he was being set out on all sorts of strange, weird setups just to try and get a feel for the car and find out what was wrong with it. 
and you know the team were getting all the engineering feedback from him to find out what they could do with the car um, and I think if Robert wants to stay in Formula 1 that might be something that might be better suited for him perhaps being a test driver um, on, with regards to George Russell his his performances I think over the years have actually been highly underrated um, you know to go from GP3 champion to Formula 2 champion and do it comfortably in a, in a sense and you know come straight into an unfortunately underwhelming Williams car and he's just gone through the season and just made the most of it and gone yeah I know I know exactly what the car's gonna do but I'm giving it 100% and it shows. There seem to be rumours Steve of, of Kubica going to the DTM next year do you think there's any mileage in that story or could we perhaps see uh, a test drive role for Kubica in Formula 1? Of course, he was linked with um, a development role with Ferrari around about this time last year. I think he could mix the two. I don't think that would be too difficult. Um, there is a space at, at, in the Audi outfit that he's been rumoured to fill as Nico Muller's gone to Dragon for Formula E. Um, so there is space there for him. I think it could be something that's better suited to him. During his uh, time in rallying, as he came back from his accident, he performed quite well. Um, so I don't think there's, you know, I don't think it's something to dismiss. Um, and I think perhaps maybe a, uh, a saloon car series might actually benefit him more than the, the constraints of Formula 1. And Steve, just finally, is, is there anything else we should be keeping an eye on at the Singapore Grand Prix this weekend? Um, certainly a, a McLaren fight back in the midfield. It'd be interesting to see how, how well they come come back after two fairly disappointing races, especially in Spa with uh, Lando's failure on the last lap. That was quite unfortunate for him. Um, it'd be certainly uh, good to see how Albon gets on on his first weekend in a competitive car, um, you know, at the front of the grid with no engine penalties to take within, <laughs> with any luck. So it should be a, a, a good fight to watch. Excellent. Steve, always a pleasure. Thanks very much for joining us here on the show. Always, always a pleasure. Thank you. That's Steve Camp from Motorsport Week there. And stay with us as we talk all things touring cars up next on Rock Sport Radio. Have you picked up the Feel the Heat brochure from your local plum base? Get one today and take advantage of great offers, including Polypipe's Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket at £99.99. That's a 15% saving on purchasing individual pieces, and it's exclusive to plum base. The Polypipe Polymax 100-piece fittings bucket is just part of the Polypipe range available in the plum base Feel the Heat brochure. Shop online now at plumbase.co.uk or grab one from your local branch. Motorpoint, we put the super into car supermarket. We're here to save the day with a choice of over 7,000 low mileage, nearly new cars. Find your next car in a flash with our lightning fast service and same day drive away. Plus, with Motorpoint's price pledge, if you find the same car for less, we'll match the price and give you a £50 Amazon voucher. Visit Motorpoint Glasgow today, just two minutes from junction three of the M74. T's and C's apply. See website for details. The list of things you need to do gets longer at this time of year, whether that's for the house or in your business. So take one thing off your list right now. Your septic tank could need emptied. 
Let Grant Henderson Tankers empty your septic tank in the home or work, farm, factory or workshop at very competitive rates. We are septic tank specialists, experienced, safe and dedicated to environmental safety with our own licensed disposal site. Find out more at wemovesh.it or call 01698 284 987. Grant Henderson Tankers, let the experts manage your waste. William, Pamela and Anthony were sold investments by banks and ended up losing money. Luckily, they contacted Goodwin Barrett and were able to claim back a total of £65,500. If you've lost money on an investment sold by a bank, even if you no longer have it or the paperwork, just text GOOD to 6677 to discover how much you could be owed. That's GOOD to 6677. You don't need a claims management company to make a complaint and if unsuccessful, you can refer it free to the financial ombudsman. Love music, live sport. Pole Position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio. Now, we had the latest round of the British Touring Car Championship at Knock Hill with West Surrey Racing among the winners last weekend. It's a privilege and a pleasure to catch up with your team boss, Dick Bennett, who joins us now. Dick, how would you sum up the weekend from your perspective? Uh... Yeah, very good question, Handy. It was um, very good for AJ, Andrew, race one and two, but um, not so good race three when he had to um, take a void in action to avoid a spinning car. Um, very good for Colin in race one, but um, obviously race two, he was taken out by a competitor, so that was the end of his good day. But um, yeah, overall... Uh, we can't complain. And it's, it's been another strong season for the team as well. And the one thing that's been quite interesting to watch throughout 2019 is just how tight it now is at the top of the Drivers' Championship too. Uh, yes, it's um, it's too close. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously, uh, Mr Gow's very happy that um, we've worked it out now. There's five guys can um, still win the championship. So with only two race meetings to go, um, it's all to play for. But, you know, it's um, it's great considering that, you know, the BMW was brand new uh, in the middle of March this year. So, so we're pretty happy, but, yeah, the pressure's on. So, Dick, how beneficial has this partnership been with BMW? Um, they've been very helpful, to be honest. We could not have done this new car without their help or their support. Um, the great thing is BMW UK, um, they like motorsport because of the M products they produce. Um, the, the motorsport itself, with they always say, um, how do they word it, that Motors, if, it, if BMW is not involved or something, it's not motorsport. So the M motorsport is BMW without it wouldn't be BMW. So they're, they're very much behind it globally as well, you know, um, from Munich. Um, but BMW UK are, are very much behind, especially the, the BTCC package because of the television and the amount of crowds we get. So what sort of support do BMW offer you throughout the season? Um, initially, they help us financially to build the new cars. 
um, during the season, it's one of the great things they do is at 60 or 70% of the BTCC meetings, they have a um, a little shop where you can go and buy your motorsport products from wheels to carbon fibre accessories to splitters to um, spoilers. Um, it's it's a great package and it, it, it works for them as well. So um, we normally have about 15 to 20 BMW VIPs for hospitality and they then invite, like just at Knock Hill, they invite um, their clients from the local, well not even local, from all around Scotland, the dealers. So it works for them off track and on track. Give us a bit of an insight into the role of a team principal. How challenging is it to secure sponsorship and such like? Uh, it's getting harder. <laughs> um, the problem is, I mean, I've got a great team around me and without them, you know, it would be difficult. So, like one example is my chief mechanic I've had for 31 years. So he knows how I work, I know how he works, and it's a great package all round. Um, the problem is now that the BTC is getting more competitive every year. So if you want to stay at the front, you get pushed into spending more. So it's a it's a catch-22. You know, we, we like winning. We like winning for our drivers, sponsors, um, technical partners, everyone. And it's it's getting so competitive now that it's you have to lift your game with the amount of people we have on board, the preparation of the cars, because you just miss one race now and, you know, you can lose serious points. Who are some of your key partners behind the scenes and sponsors who are helping um, make things happen for us? Um, the main one is BMW, and then we have companies like One PLM um, who helped us with all the CAD equipment to, to build these new cars because um, a lot of people may not realise, but these cars weren't released in the UK till March 9. So we had to have CAD drawings to help us design it without having a car there. So um, they've been very helpful there. Uh, another company was very good was Physical Digital, who do 3D optical scanning. So without them, we would have struggled to get the cars ready on time. So um, then we have a lot of other loyal um, technical partners. So all of them have helped to get us to where we are. There's probably too many smaller ones to name all individually, but, you know, we're very grateful for the support from all of them. Hi, Dick. Adam here. Take us back to the start of the West Surrey Racing Team and what inspired you to set it up? Cool, that's going back a long time. <laughs> uh, 1981. Um, I had been working for Ron Dennis for three years when it was Project 4 Racing, and he was closing up shop as he, um, with Philip Morris's support, they bought McLarens, the original Bruce McLaren racing. So I didn't really want to do F1, so my task was to sell the Formula 3 car that we'd won the championship with, with Stefan Johansson. And the guys who came along to buy it was a chap, Mike Cox, who owned West Surrey Engineering, and a young... 
um, trainee doctor called Jonathan Palmer. Um, so we took him to Goodwood, and Jonathan did a very good job. So they bought the car, but one to two weeks later, they called me up and they'd lost half a second a lap trying to run the car themselves. So they brought it back up to Project 4. I reset it up, went back to Goodwood with them, and Jonathan actually went even quicker than we'd been with Stefan. So I thought, this lad's good. But I did inform the owner who bought the car um, that if he didn't have someone who understood full ground effects, that would be a waste of his money. So they offered me a job then, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I was off home to New Zealand to help a good friend of mine. So I said, I can't come back till the middle of the end of February, which, so we actually set up the team whilst I was 12,000 miles away. So it was a challenge then, but we won the championship first year in, so I thought, this is quite easy, we'll continue. So <laughs> we uh, we then went on to win five British F3 championships, and then um, we switched to touring cars in 1996. And Dick, the team has played an important role in the careers of so many different people over the years. What do you look out for in an up-and-coming driver? Um... Talent is the first thing we look at from the junior categories. Um, age, you know, if they're young lads. Um, also very important, uh, some sponsorship if they bring it along. Um, but another thing which is transpired is from our method of training, uh, not so much the drivers, um, but we train them and guide them as well, but it's also our own staff. Um, we now actually have three females on the team, or four really, because there's a clear the office girl, but we've got Danielle, Sophie and Emily, and um, they're doing a great job. And one of them, previous ones, Mel, she's actually gone up to Formula E after one year at WSR. So we sort of feel it puts WSR at the front of the queue for... BTCC for women in motorsport, um, which, you know, there's getting more of them. So it's sort of the equal opportunity. We um, we train all these young kids, but we, we like to keep them, but we can't keep them all. <laughs> and uh, you've mentioned some of the great drivers that you've worked with over the years, but I have to ask, what was it like managing Ayrton Senna in his early years? Uh he was a fantastic guy. He was um, very focused, very determined, sometimes too much. Um, he didn't like finishing second, which cost us a few chassis in 1983, <laughs> <laughs> coming together with Martin Brundle and coming together with a concrete marshal's post at um, Cadwell Park. But for his age, his um, very... Uh, very mature for his age, very good on the commercial side, contracts-wise. Um, but we knew from day one when we first ran him, his raw talent, um, he would go places. But saying that, people like Mika Huckenden, Rubens Barrichello, all those guys, um, Mika especially, um, I often get asked the question, who was the best, but you can only really gauge each year what the competition is. But 
meter for pure raw talent was every bit as good as Ayrton. Um, he was incredible in the wet, incredible in the dry, um, but very laid back about it, whereas Ayrton was very focused and um, took things very seriously, whereas Mika's talent showed through. You could have a good laugh with him and you get in the car and then deliver the goods. Dick, you've witnessed so many changes in the British Touring Car Championship over the years. How healthy do you think the series is looking at the moment? Um, it's very healthy at the moment. Um, it's a full grid of cars. Um, 30 cars is all that's allowed on the grid, so um, it's a great package, um, especially with the live ITV4 and HD. Um, the spectators, you know, it varies from 25 to 40,000 people per race. Um, it's just got a real buzz about it, so it's a great package to be in, and um, it's it's something that I think is going from strength to strength, but I think there's more people want to join it than there are places on the grid. Mm. And looking ahead to the, the future, what are some of the, the longer-term goals for the team? Um, try to keep winning. Try <laughs> <laughs> uh, and make it a business, because one of my weaknesses is that I'm an engineer, not a, um, a, a businessman, so I'd probably spend more than what we should to keep at the front. But it's it's also the presentation of everything. We People think we're a full-on manufacturer team, but we're actually a manufacturer-assisted team. So we're not a works team. We're, we're manufacturer-assisted, which we're, we're very grateful of. But because we look the part, a lot of people think we are a full works team. But I wish we were, but um, we're not at the moment. And Dick, just finally, there's not long now until the, the next round at Silverstone. What are you aiming for next weekend? Uh, one of the first things, and very important, is reliability. Um, once the cars, the lights turn green, we can't do much for the drivers if they get mixed up in little mishaps and rubbing this, rubbing's racing, as they call it. Um, but so far this year, we've done, there's been 72 races and we've done 70 because poor AJ missed, he only did half a lap of race one at Donington. But we've actually started 70 races and we've had no mechanical failures whatsoever. So that's a credit to the guys and girls down in the workshop for what they do at both preparing the cars in the workshop and at the racetrack. So... Reliability is key to finish every race. Um, give the drivers a... Can, we had a very good engineering meeting yesterday, uh, post Knock Hill and pre-Silverstone. So the three engineers, myself, uh, data engineers, we all get together and sit around for about four hours and discuss what was good, what was bad, positives, negatives what can we do to improve things and um, look forward to um, to Silverstone and see what the weather brings. Great stuff. Dick, thank you very much for joining us here on the show. Great to chat with you on pole position. Uh, no problem at all. A pleasure. That's Dick Bennett there speaking to us here on Rock Sport Radio.
All right, let's check in now with one of Scotland's up-and-coming talents, and that, of course, is Gordy Much, who finished the final weekend of the Janetta GT5 Challenge at Donington on the top step of the podium. He spoke to our man Michael Lenny earlier, who started by looking at Gordy's third win of the season. It was close the entire way. Uh, of course, I went off P2, and uh, I wasn't quite able to get the lead straight away. Um, but I managed to find a gap on Jerry uh, on lap four, uh, and I forced my way through. And I held the lead from then on. Of course, we, we all know Jerry has been a, a very feisty racer, a very hard racer, and he's one of the hardest people to race against. Um, so holding him behind me was quite a challenge. But I, I'd done the job in the end, and uh, yeah, I managed to get my first win on the road, which uh, was an amazing feeling. Uh, talk us through that last lap after the safety car. What kind of things are you working on to uh, to keep the car in second behind you? It seems very simple, but you've got a couple of things to to think about. Of course, everyone is bunched up by then, so you know beforehand I was making sure that my tires were fully up to to the right pressure and uh, right temperature as well. So that meant that I could attack straight away. Uh, which, um, of course, I, I made sure of. And then, of course, I needed to make sure that I get a, that I got a good getaway as well to try and get a, a small gap, so try and catch Jerry off guard, which I, I managed to do. The slipstream uh, pulled him right back up behind me. From then on, it was just about positioning my car in the, in the right place and holding him behind me. Uh, he put up one hell of an attack of that last lap. Um, but I, I managed to keep my kill a cool head and uh, kept the lead. And you won at this track earlier in the season as well. Do you think it's just a place that suits your driving style? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'd agree. I, I do think it suits my driving style. It's a, it's a track that you have to be very smooth at, but at the same time you cannot be impatient with the throttle because it's very easy to wash out. Uh, it's also a, a very much a full attack track as well. You, you know, you, you need to have some guts to to get a good lap because you've got craners in the old hairpin which are extremely fast and uh, it, it, it sets the boys aside from the men. Um, so it's, it's a track that suits me very well um, and I always do seem to do well there. Um, I'm not too sure why. Uh, I, I very much enjoy Donington. It's got a very nice flow to it uh, and like I said, it's, it's very fast and you need to be very precise which is things that I very much like. Now, how would you sum up the weekend overall? Extremely strong. Yeah, we were we were quick throughout testing. Very very quick. We were we were breaking lap records throughout testing. We almost broke it in in qualifying, but the temperature was a bit higher, which didn't allow us to get back down to the same times, unfortunately. But it was probably the strongest weekend of the year, as I was informed actually that it was my highest scoring of points over one weekend because of course we got the double pole position which is a perfect way to start the weekend I knew it was quick and, and to be honest in quality I, I went out and there was no I was in no mindset that I, I wasn't going to get anything other than pole uh, I left Park Fermi with only pole on my mind I wouldn't have accepted anything less after testing I knew it was strong I just knew that I had to go out and, and do my best job and it would have been enough uh, of course we got a second place on Sunday which was great almost had the win but just wasn't quite there we almost almost had it 
And then in the last race, uh, of course, I hadn't had a win on the road up to that point. I already had two wins, but they weren't on the road. For me, I really wanted to be the first driver across the line. Uh, so it's the same as quality. I put myself back into that same mindset of thinking I'm going to go out and win. There's, I'm, I'm not going to take any other position lower than first for an answer. And it seemed to work. I went in there and I drove my heart out and I, and I came out on top. And that win means you finished the season third in the championship. You must be pretty happy with that. Yeah, of course. Um, of course, uh, I didn't expect to get into the top three, but uh, I, d- I dare say that um, you know racing is very unpredictable and everything is unexpected. And I, I, I dare say you always have to expect the unexpected. So... I got a really good points all over the weekend and I managed to get myself back into third in the championship, which is great. To be in the top three of something like the GT5 Challenge is a, is a great achievement and I think it summarises um, you know, how well we've done this year. And it was a quite a successful year. Nine podium visits in 19 races. How would you sum up your second season in the GT5 Challenge? I think those stats right there seems pretty successful. So yeah, I'd say successful, uh, of course. We had a, a couple ups and downs, as every every driver does. Unfortunately, we had a, a couple more downs at the start of the year, uh, most of them not really being up to us, but due to incidents. But that that's racing, unfortunately. But uh, the the last part of this year, uh, I, I've just felt so strong. We've had, you know, great pole positions, uh, such as the ones at Zandvoort and Silverstone and. Yeah, I, I just feel that in the last part of the, of the season, I've I've really blossomed, I guess you could say, and uh, I've been pushing harder than ever. Uh, so I've, I'm, I, if anything, I'm very satisfied with the end of the season because, of course, uh, you know the evidence is there uh, that I've I've ended up in fourth due to those consistent results. One thing we've noticed about your driving this year is how strong you've been in qualifying, uh, taking pole by six tenths in Zandvoort, for example. What would you put your strong qualifying down to? In my opinion, it has everything to do with mindset. I feel if you if you go out and you know you, you need to put yourself into a good mindset, thinking I am going to be pole. And what once you have that mindset, all you need to do is is complete lap. Now, I think a lot of people people do overthink it uh, and they're obsessed with getting a perfect lap. There's no such thing as a perfect lap. So you need to get a clean lap and then work on it from there. Um, just take one corner at a time. Uh, and I, I feel like that's been my main strength this year is qualifying. In, in fact, I'm the top average qualifier from this year. Um, but I, I have the mindset going out that I am going to do well and it puts my mind at ease going into it and allows me to focus more. Is that advice that you would give to a young driver looking to nail that hot lap? Absolutely, yeah. You know, like, uh, such things as uh, visualisation uh, as, as a good technique, but you just need to pay attention, especially, you know, listen to what your, if you have on a driver coach is saying, you need to pay attention to all of the details. You just need to piece it together, you know, just work at one corner at a time, you know. Don't focus on the whole lap because if you focus on the whole lap, you're, you're going to overcomplicate things. Just take one corner at a time. But the main thing is keep it clean. Don't overpush it. If you overpush it, if anything, you're going to go slower. 
And if you do it clean, you'll do it fast. And you've had a lot of strong partners in your corner this year. Can you talk us through some of your supporters? Yeah, of course. Um, of course, supporters are a huge part of my racing. I, I would not be out on that grid and I would not have the results and wins and pole positions that I do without my supporters. Uh, so I'd like to thank John Clark Motor Group. He's been with me since karting. Um, also, Echo Orthopedics, they've joined us this year and they've been a huge support. Uh, Express Tires Lockerbie as well. They've been very supportive. Uh, Akuria Cost as well. And uh, just everybody who has supported me throughout the years, um, you know, everything uh, is so much appreciated. As you know, racing it's 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 constant. It's it's a lot of hard work. So to have uh, people giving appreciation and supporting you along the way, uh, it, it it means the world. Now, what's on your radar between now and the end of the year? It's it's a lot about planning. It's it, you know, it, it's it always matters about the next year. That's all that matters. Um, so it's going to be a lot of work to try to see you know what we can do between now. But like all all I can do is make sure that I I'm uh, fit in body and fit in mind uh, going on to to next year. Um, make sure that um, you know I'm, I'm getting the right support behind me. Um, so even though we're getting a a break, this is a an opportunity to do some work at the same time. Um, so I'll, I'll be focusing on, on, on doing that side of things. And looking slightly further ahead into the future, what have you got planned? Uh, that, that's the big question. I'd like to say what I've got planned, but nothing is set in stone. I'd like to say that I know what I'm doing, but at the same time, I do not want to jinx it. I, I dare say we'll see how things pans out, but nothing's over till it's over. So we'll see how things pan out. Fox Motorsport have done an incredible job this year. Uh, over the past two years, they've, they've shaped me into a much more professional driver. And just everything about me is much better, and I owe it all to them. So I, I sort of left Donington not knowing if it would be the last time. So, you know, I, got, I went around all the mechanics and gave them a hug and thanked them because I didn't know if I'd be coming back. But whatever happens, I'm excited to, to see where my future goes. That was Scotland's Gordy Much there, speaking to our man Michael Lenny or earlier on Rock Sport Radio. All right, let's talk rally now because Seb Ogier took his first win since Mexico after beating his Citroen teammate Esipeka Lapi at Rally Turkey with Hyundai's Andreas Mikkelsen taking the final step of the podium. But Adam, the big one as well, I dare say, is um, just as well Otanak was barred from our kind of prediction calculator because uh, what a nightmare weekend it was for him. Um, and crucially as well, yes, he won the power stage, but... A 33-point gap at the top of the table, down to just 17 with three events to go. It's incredible. Uh, it's, it's sensational. Just when you think one driver has really taken the stronghold of the championship and it looks as if it's going to be one-way traffic between now and the end of the season, rally, as so often, surprises us. And that's the great thing about rallying. Because it's over a number of days, because it's on different surfaces, there are so many things that can go wrong and it was a terrific rally again. And Otanak now, well, it's left the door wide open, as you quite rightly said now. And, and what a championship we, we should have in our hands, that is for sure. And, you know, 
what was your reaction when you saw this drama unfold? Well, it was one of those ones where we were, we were chatting with um, rally expert David Halley about it last week. Um, I kind of floated the idea that maybe Seb Ogier and Citroen would look at this event and say, perhaps it's one where they'll just kind of sit back, wait to see what happens in front of them, and then maybe try and pick off points from people who fall by the wayside. And that's kind of what happened to a point. Um, Saturday was crucial. Um, Seb pulls out another Super Saturday that he's, that he's so famous for. Um, but the interesting thing, you talk about all the, the different surfaces and, and what have you, Adam, that, that rally drivers and co-drivers indeed um, contend with. But the other element to throw into the mix from Rally Turkey was the rain. Um, Saturday there was some real concerns and, and headaches in the kind of service park and, and lots of people looking up into the, the skies with, with worry about... Um, how to tackle the weather, what tyre choice to go with and, um, and and ultimately stage 6 in particular proved to be the real turning point for me because um, that was the one whereby um, you know Toyota lost a lot of time um, Chris Meek in particular, he, he lost uh, a good minute and 10 seconds I believe it was as well, the back end of that, that car falling to pieces and um, had some, some choice words to say at stage end and I'll leave it at that <laughs> But yeah, it was a, a curious event for, for Toyota in general, to be honest with you. And how big a win do you think that is for Seb Ogier and Citroen in general? Because, of course, Esapeka Lapi was second. Yeah, and, and it was a good one for Esapeka, I think, to be fair as well. Um, I mean, they make no bones about it. Esapeka's had a, a, a really tough um, year since he made the switch to Citroen. I think um, it's one where... <sighs> In my opinion, he, he was he was probably driving for it for his his seat at one stage. You know, of course, he he got second in Sweden early on, and then there's just a couple of retirements, have just a couple of events where he's just not really there. But you know, to get two two podiums and three events, you know, of course, expect him to go strong at his home event in Finland, don't you? But you know, you've got to be there to to pick up the points and and, and rally. Get second there, you know, eighth in Deutschland, but back back in it with a, a second place in Turkey is good. It's good for Esapeka. It's good for his confidence because I think he is a bit of a confidence driver. Um, but it's good for Citroen as well because, you know, they, they've kind of been through the mill a little bit this year. Um, they're doing a little bit of testing ahead of um, ahead of the, the next event, Wheels Rally GB. And so it'll be interesting to see how that team kind of approach the final three events of the season. And also an interesting result for Thierry Neuville because another missed opportunity, of course, he came so close last season to, to winning the championship and people were expecting him to come in this season and be strong, but it looks as if it's going to be between Oji and Tanak now. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange one with, with um, Thierry because, you know, if you had said to me after Argentina, how would you rate the season? I would have said very well, you know. I mean, that was that was what... You know, two back-to-back wins, Corsica Argentina starts the year um, with a couple of podiums as well. You know, things were kind of looking good, but I don't know if I don't know. I don't know if Chile was maybe the turning point um, for him. And, and for me, he's just he's lacking something, and it's hard to put your finger on it. But there's just something kind of different there with me um, compared to the, the Thierry that we saw last year. Um, good for Andreas to get to get in there and get a podium as well. Another driver who has. Um, had a tough time of it. Of course, he was told he was going to be contracted to, to every rally. That didn't happen. He's been dropped twice. Um, but he's, he's, he's reacted in the right manner, I think, is the important thing as well. Um, again, there's a good driver in here. They're all good drivers, Adam, but it's just that sometimes it's, it's having that killer instinct. That can be the difference at, at this level. And what was your thoughts on M Sports weekend? Um, yeah, it, it was a good drive for, for Timu. Um, I think... 
if I'm speaking openly, I think Timo needed that result um, because, you know, he, he comes out Sardinia with a second place and we're saying, right, here we go, this is that new co-driver who's, who's going to kick on now. Finland was a massive disappointment. He just couldn't get that car going for whatever reason. Um, seemed to really struggle on Friday as well. Um, obviously, Deutschland didn't go to plan as well. But for, for me, the, the good thing is about um, Timu coming in there and, and kind of leading that team, obviously, with Elfin Evans um, been at the wayside for the last few events. Um, that was good to see. Um, I think Pontus Tiedemann's probably did as well as we would expect. You know, forget that was his first that was his first um, gravel event of 2019 as well, which is, 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 is a strange one. But um, yeah, I think I think the expectation for Pontus was to to get the event um, complete with the car, you know, all all, <laughs> all the bits hanging on it, and, and just chalking up his experience. And looking at those standings, 17 points as we've talked about between Tanak and Ogier. My favourite game is the prediction game. On rallying, do you think though that perhaps because Tanak it has been a miserable weekend, it's unlikely he's going to have another miserable weekend in the remaining three rounds, or do you think it is a real opportunity for Ogier? Well, that's the question. You know, you know, I think Tanak's had a little bit of of misfortune um, through, along the way. Um, it, it, this is the thing, you know. Last year he, he was in the the championship contention. We've now had a situation where he's leading the championship and he's got to defend, and, and that, that's a different kind of beast. That's a different thing to um, to to cope with. I still maintain that the Toyota is the is the quickest car out of the lot, and I would. Oh, I mean, Seb, we know Seb's a great driver, but Ott has really upped his game this year, hasn't he? Um, it's how he bounces back. This is this is the thing, you know. The the, the lead is has really cut down. Seb is the sort of driver as well. When when he's tails up, he, he's really going. And um, do you know what? It just makes a, a, a great end to the season because I dare say we got to Finland and we thought, oh, well, this is it. Tanak's won again and it's a bit of a write-off now. And we, we kind of thought that was going to be the case. That's not happened. And here we go. We've got another two, certainly a two-horse race, potentially a three-horse race with just three events to go. And it's very exciting for all involved in the rallying and interested to get your thoughts generally in the World Rally Championship because Volkswagen left a few years ago, but now, as you mentioned, so exciting. Three manufacturers, three drivers going for the championship. The remaining three rounds should be epic. No, absolutely. And um, you know what? That's why we love rally. You know, it's... Um it's always been great to, to follow the action and, and, and long may it continue. Let's get the latest from the Scottish motorsport sport scene now with Glenn Alcock. Hi guys and hello to everybody who's listening. So it's good to be back. So big news, not kill. Rory Butcher had pole position victory in this one for the BTCC. It was a nail biter as it looked like he was going to finish second on the second to last lap when he suffered from some gearbox issues. But he took the lead again from Andrew Jordan eh, on the last lap and not kill went wild. It was great seeing a home victory for Rory emulating his brother-in-law Gordon Shedden. So he finished eh, third in race two and contact with Colin Turkington resulted in him getting a five-place penalty um, for... Eh, the contact he had, and basically that saw him finish outside the points. Aidan Moffat's best result was ninth place in race three as he continues to develop his Infinity uh, Q50. The British GT season wrapped up at Donington. The Scots Johnny Adam and Graham Davidson winning the GTC Championship in the Aston Martin. So it was a stewards' decision and a penalty for another driver that promoted the pair into their title winning position. So Johnny Adam now has a record four British GT titles, and wife Rachel looked almost as excited as when he won Le Mans in 2017. So it's been a great season for the guys who've become a formidable force, and it'll be interesting to see what their plans are for 2020. Another great story was Ross Martin winning the British Formula Ford Championship. So Ross dominated the 2017 and 2018 seasons of Scottish Formula Ford 
and he's one of the most impressive young drivers I think I've seen in action. And to top that, he's a thoroughly nice guy as well. So massive congratulations to Ross with his father, John, and uh, mum, Joanne, always giving him good support. Gordy much had on earlier on, so he was racing the Jeanette GT5 Challenge, supporting the British GT at Donington, took two pole positions, finished P2, then clinched a victory. And it's been a very successful weekend, a very successful season, with three wins, nine podiums, five pole positions, and a third place in the title. So uh, we'll be watching his progress as well. Another exciting young driver to watch is 17-year-old Abby Monroe from Bonner Bridge, who made her Formula 4 debut, supporting the BTCC at Knock Hill last weekend with Arden. Uh, she said it's been great to uh, make my British uh, F4 debut at Knock Hill. Obviously, it's my home track, so there's been a lot of people from Scottish Motorsport uh, community showing support, which has been really nice. So she picked up three points, finished in the three races, and the team boss, Gary Ward, said it was very impressive. So she's headed off to Spain to test for the W Series this week. So we'll keep an eye on her progress as well. Sandy Mitchell. So first of all, I've got to thank him for the invite recently to the Lamborghini event. It was great getting up close and personal with a Lamborghini Huracan GT3 car. I couldn't believe how light the door was. I even managed to get a wee uh, go in the driver's seat. Um, so Sandy was racing at the iconic Laguna Seca circuit in the States. He managed to finish P2 and P3, narrowly missing out in a victory as well. Uh, so with one round to go, he's got his sights on the title. Uh, at the event was Graham Carroll, who's former Scottish Formula Ford champion. He now focuses on esports. And big Scottish Motor Racing Club news this week is the SMRC have launched an esports championship where entrants can go from sim racing uh, to actually competing in the Scottish Legends Championship. So to enter, you'll need an iRacing account. And there's four qualifying sessions with 20-minute races, uh, which is starting at the end of September up until mid-October. The events will be live-streamed on the SMRC Facebook page. The top 10 drivers plus four wild cards from these rounds will go to a semi-final at Knock Hill, where Graham in the 2001 World Rally Championship champion Robert Reid will assess them on a sim, the Knock Hill kart track, and then they'll interview the contenders before the two finalists will be decided will go head-to-head on stage at the SMRC Awards in Glasgow on uh, November the 23rd. And they will then be the first SMRC eSports champion who will win a fully funded round in the Scottish Legends Championship. So you can sign up online by visiting smrc.co.uk or their Facebook page, and I'll put a link up on Superfast Scots as well. Uh, Tartan Tarmac's big day is this Sunday, so Hot Hatches, hot Hypercars, F1 car demo, there's music, classic cars, trucks and trikes. It's uh, got it all, and knockhill.com will give you more details. And finally, it was great seeing the legendary Dario Franchitti back on track competing uh, in, at the Goodwood Revival, and he looked like he was having the time of his life, so that was really, really great to see. And that's all I've got. Excellent, Clay. Thank you very much, as always, for your time here on Pole Position. No problem, thanks, guys. That's the Superfast Scots roundup there with Glenn Alcock. Now, unfortunately, that's just about all, uh, all we've got time for this week, Adam. It's been another busy one, but um, we just want to have a, a very quick look ahead to the, the Singapore Grand Prix on Sunday, of course. Um, who do you think is going to win that one? Max Verstappen. Ooh, right, okay. Simple as that. I just think it suits Red Bull, and they've won at tracks this season where you would have not perhaps expected them to have won. So I think Singapore, a track that does suit them, with that high downforce and also with those low, uh, slow speed corners as well. Interesting. All right, we'll see how you get on next week with that one because that's us for pole position this week. But we'll be back from 8 o'clock next Thursday night to do it all again. My thanks to Adam, to our guests and to you for joining us as well. And here comes the Rock Zone. Love music. Live sport. Pole position with Andy Alston and Adam Todd on Rock Sport Radio.